Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 130 of Getting It Out Podcast. That was Bitch Falcon. Yeah, the band's called Bitch Falcon, and the song's called Gaslight. Um, I, I don't know much about them. I just learned of them, uh, I'm, I'm literally going to say minutes ago, uh, but that's a name 
that I'm certainly not going to forget. And uh, I, I think they just they just announced a, a signing to a new record label, Small Pond Records. Maybe that's not a new record label. It's their new record label, I should say. Um, they got a new record coming out. I'm not sure when, but uh, that's going to be your first signal, single, I guess you could say. Uh, Gaslight by Bitch Falcon. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what kind of music you call that. Um, I see it advertised as, uh, what do they call it? Dream Grunge Rock. I don't think that's a genre, but I'll give it to them. They can be that, uh, just because I appreciate their name so much and their sound. Cool band. Uh, be on the lookout for more from Bitch Falcon. Um, okay, so what's happening on this episode? Episode 130 of Getting It Out Podcast. I got Rob Fish. You might know Rob Fish from uh, several bands. 108 is probably the biggest one. Um, the Judas Factor was one. Resurrection was another. Um, there's been a slew of others. Uh, but this time, we're talking about Every Scar Has a Story, which just released a new three-song EP on Equal Vision Records. Uh, you're going to hear some songs from that, and you're going to hear a conversation about that and many other things. So, yeah, that's what's happening on this episode of Getting It Out Podcast. Let's get into it. Okay, so here we are, episode 130. Um, sorry, I see, it looks like I'm speaking loud on the screen. I see, let me let me try to talk a little softer, try to round out my words a little bit. I, I tend to pop, I believe. Maybe if I had the pop filter on the microphone, that would help a little bit. Maybe I just need to uh, be a little easier with my tone, and I'll try that from here on out on the, the second intro of episode 130 of Getting It Out Podcast. How about that? Is that better? Am I speaking like I'm reading an audiobook? I don't think so. I don't think I'm capable of uh, such such velvety, clean uh, pronunciation. But uh, I'll try it, if only for briefly. Um, yes, yeah, so this is the second week of being displaced, the end of the second week of being temporarily displaced from our home. And it's going okay. It's It's a little edgy. From time to time, when nobody's at home, you know what I mean. We don't got our rooms to go to. We have rooms to go to. We don't have our rooms to go to. Even if we were at home, though, there's no rooms to go to. <laughs> it's uh, it's you have to see it to understand. And I'm not going to tell you anymore. It's a secret that I'm giving away all the hints to, all the clues I've exposed already. But that's okay. Um, anyway, as I said in the intro, this episode uh, features Rob Fish from uh, many bands, most notably 108, but most recently, Every Scar Has a Story, and that's what we're talking about, the, the three-song EP that they just put out. But we did get, uh, um, understandably, off track on many different subjects, and one of which was the coronavirus and the impact that it has had on us and uh, our, our work life. And um, so interesting that uh, this was recorded a few weeks ago. Uh, I think now we're in what... Is this the second wave? Is this the second spike? This whatever we were calling it. Is this what we expected to happen? Um, you can blame me. I'll take some blame, though. I don't know. Am I to blame? I didn't. I don't know if I. I don't know if I contributed. I don't know. I, I wear a mask when I'm out in public. I feel like that's that's what I'm supposed to do, right? My whole family does. The other day, uh, we didn't. We had me and my daughter were out, and uh, we didn't eat for like three hours because. 
we didn't have a mask and that was that was that right like that's that's the way it is if you're out and about and you don't have a mask you can't go into the place to get the food so you don't right we we thought about it we tried it and then it was like no this is this is crazy we can't be these we can't be these people so let's not be those people and uh that's the way it was we we all survived um we also didn't get any diseases which is great so uh congratulations to us let us be your example we are the best um nobody does not getting diseases like us which is funny that's the way me and my wife talk about everything now we say uh like you know i'll be like oh you're the best at dinner this dinner was the best nobody makes better dinner than you make because our uh, fearless leader donald trump has taught us all that you can just say this stuff and it's it's, fu- it's funny when you use it for literally everything as he does so we do that too um I woke up this morning. I'm really good at waking up. Nobody wakes up better than I do, which is almost kind of true. I wake up pretty good, except for today. You know what? That's not true because today I was kind of grumpy, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what that's about. What's grumpiness about, huh? Somebody figure out that formula. How do we break that shit down? Because my daughter woke up grumpy. <laughs> it's the same day that I woke up grumpy, and I was like, you know, sorry, I'm just grumpy. My daughter wakes up grumpy. I'm like, hey, knock that shit off. As <laughs> a total double double standard with me. I'm allowed to be grumpy. Nobody else. Oh, you're just tired? Well, fucking suck it up. Too bad. Just because you're tired doesn't get to get, doesn't mean you get to be mean to people. And uh, that's true. But then I do the exact same thing. So I'm a total hypocrite. Anyway, I shouldn't go on for too much longer. Uh, Rob and I talked for about 45 minutes-ish. So I want to give, give that interview uh, the time it deserves. I can't lie. I had complete and total intention to ask Rob silly questions like, what's it like to be named after an animal? But I couldn't do it because he was smart and he was uh, gracious and articulate and very obviously way smarter than I was. And there was not a guy that I that I wanted to try to be silly with. Not because I don't think he's capable of being silly, but because I think he's very capable of making me look and sound incredibly stupid. And uh, so I, 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 I salvaged myself on this one. And I did what most people should do when you realize you're listening to somebody talk who's smarter and more insightful than you. You should just fucking listen to them. All right. Doesn't mean you have to uh, agree or believe or whatever, though I feel like I did with everything he said. Um, you can just listen to people, hear them out, especially when they make you feel stupid, which is what Rob did. Thank you, Rob, for making me feel stupid. And thank you for listening to episode 130 of Getting It Out Podcast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play uh, the title track of uh, Every Scar Has a Story's latest EP, which is also called Every Scar Has a Story. So this is Every Scar Has a Story on the record. Every Scar Has a Story by the band Every scar has a story.
Pennsylvania. Okay. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Ah, I remember Lancaster well. What did you do in Lancaster? Chameleon Club? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Chameleon Club, but I kind of feel like that was later. I mean, I feel like that was later 90s. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. I'd have to... Yeah, I'd have to remember. I mean, I think the first time I played Lancaster was probably like '88 or something, uh, and I don't think, I don't think that was around in '88. I think it was smaller venues. I think, but I don't remember. I'd say you're probably right. I mean, that's that's before my time, but uh, but but Lancaster's always had this weird, this you know, for being fucking Amish country, there's always been this, uh, there's there's always been like a prevalent or you know at least some kind of uh, hardcore scene or you know whatever underground music here at all times it's very strange how it, how it happens here yeah 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 no i mean uh yeah I, I i don't remember the geography really well but i know that the places that you always played back then were like allentown and bethlehem and then lancaster came a came a bigger spot a little bit later on but anyway yeah anyway so very cool. you're 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 not on the east coast anymore are you no no i moved out to the west coast in uh 2001 to like the Oakland area and then up to Portland, Oregon. And now I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. So I've lived a little bit of everywhere. Yeah, that is everywhere. Is, is the, is the West coast as, as, as better as advertised? Did I say that correctly? Is it as good yeah, as, I, as they say it is? <laughs> I, I, I really do prefer it. I mean, I lived in New Jersey, Philadelphia, New York. Um, and I love New York and I love Philly. New Jersey, different story, but I mean, I love those places, but you know, I remember when I first got brought out here for a job and uh, they flew me out here and they were offering me a job and I was like, my God, I can't like Northern California just being like, I can't believe someone's going to pay me to live here. Um, I mean, it's expensive, not unlike New York city or New Jersey and all that, but no, I, I love it. And who knows? I mean, I, you know, I, I, Maybe I'll go back one day, but I've I've loved living on the West Coast. It doesn't seem like there's a good enough reason to come back, and I don't even know anything about you, but other than, other than you know your bands. But the uh, the the it's funny, just uh, like the, the California, specifically like San Diego, which you know is like a it has like mythical. It's like mythical to me. Like it's it's out there. It's this paradise that I could go to, but I'm not going to. And uh, it's just a funny. It's, it's just funny that way. Yeah, I mean, everybody loves Southern California. I mean, my first times there, I was definitely attracted to it. I definitely prefer Northern California to Southern California. And strange enough, even as someone who lives in Arizona, yeah. um, just the the kind of conservative, religious conservative bent of Southern California is 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 is, is a little bit off putting to me. Um, obviously, you have. You have some of that in Arizona, not necessarily the religious part, just more the the political part, yeah. which is can be a little hard to fathom. But I don't know, Northern California, I love like that was my favorite favorite place to live. That's weird. I, I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have taken Southern California for conservative. Uh, it really is like Orange County, all that stuff. It's it really really is like it's yeah. You, you don't you don't think about it like when you see in the movies, you see things yeah. like that. Like it doesn't come off like that at all. No, it's it's pretty damn like, yeah, it's 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 interesting. <laughs> well, all right, that makes that makes a little more sense. Not not quite the paradise that I thought it was then, but uh, anyway. it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. The beaches are beautiful, but the people <laughs> suck. I get what you're saying. <laughs> so, so, uh, dude. So, obviously, um, I'm calling you to talk about. Your, this new project you got going on and some of your other stuff, but mainly this, this new sure. thing that you're doing. Um, 
Every Scar Has a Story, which I just, well, I found out about a few, maybe about a month ago. Uh, it came across my inbox, and I checked it out, and I was surprised to see your name attached to it. Of course, you have quite a history in uh, hardcore. And, um, and I don't know, this came out of nowhere for me. But the way I read it and the way I understand is that the recording might have come out of nowhere, but the band has been in, you know, incubation for a long time. Where did every yeah, scar has a story come from? Yeah, I mean, so it definitely did kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, I met Tom, I want to say it was probably 10 years ago. 108 did some shows in, in New York City area, and one of his bands, uh, you know, was like one of the opening bands, Black Kites. And we oh, just I happened to meet band. and just really, yeah, really, really awesome guy, like really liked him. Um, talked for a while. And then, you know, over the next couple of years when we would play the East Coast, like one of his bands would play or I would see him. And then I want to say it was probably like six, probably seven years ago at this point, he actually sent me a record or like a four song demo. And it was all musical. It was just the music. And it was fucking awesome. It sounded nothing like what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, really heavy, very metallic, noisy, r- kind of right up my alley. Um, and he sent it to me cause he was like, Hey, well, you know, let's do something together. Like, and when I heard it, I was like, these songs are fucking amazing. Like I loved it. But the thing with me is like, I'm not a writer, right? Like I don't pass myself off as some guy who's like a writer and, you know, musician. Like I, when I do music, it's typically because I'm in some type of spot in my life where I feel like things are unsettled. And it's, sure. it's a way for me to kind of process and work through things. And at that period, my life was pretty freaking perfect. So, like, I had these really heavy songs. They sounded amazing. But I was like, after a few weeks, I just kind of hit him back up and just said, look, like, I love it, but I can't, I, I, like, I'm not in a space to write music like this right now. Like, my life, like, things are just too good, which is right, kind of a right. weird answer, but whatever. Um, but then, you know, we just continued to stay in touch and, you know, he came out here to play, play some shows at one point we met up for lunch and whatever. Like I just, I followed him because I, I thought his bands were interesting, really, really nice guy. And why the hell not? And then what happened was it was probably the middle of March. Everything was locked down, right. With, with COVID. I, and, and I, including me, like I had to close, I'm a, like a CEO of a company and I had to close all of my, I have 68 locations across 10 states. I had to close everything down and I'm just working from home. And at some point I, I kind of look on Facebook and I see that he's, you know, he posts like this 20 second clip and was like, Hey, like I'm just, and just like, he was just basically like, Oh, I'm just working on some stuff in, in quarantine. And I listened to the clip and right away I just sent him a note being like, Hey, if you don't have someone to do vocals on this, like I would totally like to do it. Like I'm kind of like in that head spot. Yeah. And so he hit me back up and literally within I would say the next two weeks he sent me four songs in total. And, you know, I went and just, I, my office, I, I had to close my offices. So I set up a little recording studio in there and went in for like two hours and did the songs and sent it back to him. And then, you know, we sent it to a few labels and then that was that. So it definitely was like, I mean, I will say like, I did have a project called every scar as a story, which we, we used as, we just called the Ishas, you know, so just use the initials. And I did a seven inch, probably, probably close to 10 years ago. Um, and it was on, uh, what label was that on? It was in Philadelphia, six feet under, I think it's called. I can't six remember. Under, the yeah, bass no. player from, 
Yeah, bass player from Blacklisted. So I did a seven inch with him with this this project, but like we never played shows, never did anything. And I just really like the story because I feel like the I, I feel like the name reflects everything that I I've ever done in a in a band. Like when I write something, it's typically like I kind of said about something I'm struggling to get through or work through. Right. So I just felt like it was like really fitting. And I was like, yeah, whatever, we'll spell it out. No one, you know, that thing was a seven inch. No one paid attention. So, you know, in, in most senses, yes, it's a brand new thing. Tom and I had talked for years, you know, kind of about doing something together, but it just never lined up. And then this, this just did. Well, that's, that's interesting. First, I, I, yeah, I didn't know that there was the other, you know, that there was the other incarnation of the, of the band. And, um, uh, Tom, I didn't know Tom. I saw the other bands that he was in, but I didn't know he was in Black Kites, which is interesting because I was just I just listened to their that full length they did on Ride the Fury Records the other day, and, I, I, and I, as I was listening to it, I was thinking, whatever happened to this fucking band? Um, but I guess here he is. Um, the and 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 I, I I was one of the things I was going to ask you is what was the catalyst for you know finally doing a, a new different band? And I mean, you kind of just answered all that though, right there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so it, this is different though from what you've done in the past. And it, it, which way, it, which way is it uh, personally different for you? Like, how how did you I mean, approach it, it differently? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely sonically a little different. I mean, look, it's not completely out of my wheelhouse. Like, sure. I spend yeah. most of the time fucking screaming. So, <laughs> I don't think it's like a far reach for anybody who who digs the music I do. But I, I wanted to do something that had, like, I, I'm I'm definitely a guy who like I love. I love rhythmic music um, and I like guitars that, that are a little bit noisy um, that are a little bit noodly uh, if you will. And I wanted to do something with a sense of melody. So that was really what kind of drew me in, drew me into this. Um, but in terms of like where I am and why this period of my life is different than five years ago, I think it was really just, I mean, it's been a culmination of years of watching kind of the, the, the political discussions in our country um, you know, seeing, you know, all these, everybody talks about how, you know, all of a sudden race is an issue and that's, that's not fucking true. Right. It's just now getting more of a spotlight because, you know, more and more people have an ability to use a voice with social media and, and capture things. So I think all of those things were kind of culminating for me. And then, you know, then with everything around COVID-19, just watching how everybody was split on one of two sides. Either this is the worst thing in the world, and we're all good, it's all everybody's going to die, or it's this is a this is a made up thing. Yeah, and it really like struck me that like typically people's opinions when it came to that was driven by maybe their economic status, their their place in life. Like it was, it, it was very much just like this thing of like everybody's looking at this through their own lens which makes complete sense we all do that but i felt like it's very it's becoming more and more rare in any type of discussion um to look at look at things through the lens of of your mother your father your neighbor like the person across the street the person on the other side of the world and so i just you know for whatever reason like the first song that we wrote was that song was was the third song in the record called price admission yeah and like that was you know, I heard the song and as soon as I heard part of it, I literally just, and, and that's typically how I do lyrics. Like I don't spend a lot of time on it. I just stream a thought, like whatever, whatever emotion and 
inspiration a song gives me, I just write it. And so I think that that, that was kind of the big thing, right? My life is amazing, but at the same time, I was, I've been struggling with, you know, just like, how do you, how do we, how do we individually and collectively start to have like real conversations and not always just allow what something does to us, whether it's socially or economically be the, the only viewpoint that we pay attention to. And so that was kind of the inspirational part in that, you know, I feel like it's, it's, it's a, it's a positive intent over a fucked up situation. Yeah, that that price of admission is actually the the one song out of the three that I was I wanted to ask you about, um, because like you said, it, well, I mean it's obviously pretty pretty timely, but the but listening to it, um, and and you know, kind of trying to get into the lyrics of it, the it's it feels absolutely relevant right now, but it also feels like it could be relevant at any time. It's just now that there's some really obvious shit that makes it relevant. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. I mean, I had people ask me, like, hey, was it about, you know, this particular situation? I'm like, no, like, I mean, that might lend some perspective to it. But I feel like this is all shit that if you've paid any attention to life, um, this is all stuff that's been going on forever. And so, you know, recent events definitely, like, help kind of inspire maybe to talk more about it. But, um, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's this is a this is a conversation that kind of starts every year and then it quickly stops. I think with COVID nineteen, um, you know, forcing businesses to close, forcing people to stay home more, all these different things. I think it has forced this conversation, especially around race, around you know, around capitalism, all these different things. It's it's made it where you can't just go back to the usual, right. and I think that that's typically what happens to me as an individual and us collectively is, you know, in, in normal times you see it, you get outraged, and then the next day there's a new different news story, and you just you know you go on to the next thing, or you just you go well you know hey I I fucking did my social media post and I said this is fucked up and you kind of feel good about it. This kind of forces everybody's hands. Right. Um, because people have a lot more time uh, on their hands. And I think, you know, they're, they're just talking about it, you know, talking about things more. Yeah. I, I hear you on that. And I, and I've, I've been, I've been repeating the same thing a lot lately. And the more that I say it, the, uh, the more of a cop out, it kind of sounds like I'm making, you know, the more, I feel like it's more of a cop. I, I keep saying this COVID-19 thing, it didn't affect it didn't affect me, my wife, my family, me and my kids negatively at all. So I don't feel like I get to have an opinion on it. And that, like, and, and the more that I say it, the more, like I said, it sounds like bullshit. And, and so for, for like, for you, as like you said, you, you got these businesses, where did, where do you stand on all this and the way we, it was handled? Look, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have 68 locations that I, that I run uh, about 2000 employees and it's the, the business is based on massage and skincare. So right. it is extremely close touch. Um, and so, you know, probably early February is when I really started to kind of pay attention to everything happening overseas and all yeah. the discussions about it and really tried to work to like educate myself. And I mean, the reality is this is a dangerous infectious disease. 
Um, we don't know a ton about it. I mean, if you talk, if you look at what the CDC and World Health Organization said about it two months ago versus today, there's a lot of differences and radical differences. And so it's funny, like on one side, you know, like you grow up in the punk scene and you formulate all these ideas, right? You listen to fucking Dead Kennedy's records at the age of 13 and it all feels real and you're passionate about it. And then what happens is over time, you might even still love those records and, and can recite those lyrics, but all of a sudden, like whether it's your career or things that decisions that you make or decisions that you don't make, um, kind of put you on a collision course between the person you thought you were and the person you are. Yeah. Right. And all of a sudden, like, you know, I, I, and I had to go through the same thing of like, fuck, like this is a real thing. It is going to be something that if we don't handle this right, we put our massage therapists at risk, our estheticians at risk, our clients at risk. And that is not like, that's not something I'm willing just to, to, you know, stare at a, a spreadsheet or a P&L and, and make a decision on. So like I had to make the decision uh, along with, you know, our, my investor group to say, we're going to close. And we ended up closing uh, in mid-March uh, and we closed for about two months and we've just started to slowly reopen. We, but we had to change a lot of how we operate right. to do that. Um, but also like, what do you do with all these employees? Like, half of my employees, when we, when we closed initially, we didn't know how long it would be. Cause again, what I wanted to do was understand what is this thing really, what PPE, like will PPE help? If so, what PPE, how do you get it? And how do you make sure that you keep people as safe as possible? So, you know, we closed our doors, we paid all, we kept paying all of our employees, including their medical benefits and everything. And then when we saw that it was going to be a longer term thing for about a three week period, we said, all right, we're going to, we're going to go and we're going to put you guys on furlough for a few weeks so we can go and get some loans and figure this out. And that's what we did. We, you know, had people go on furlough for three weeks. And right away we saw that, that, uh, uh, you know, probably about 40% of my employees weren't getting unemployment for some reason. Like just the states were so backlogged. You can still read about the state of Oregon. They've been shut down basically since the beginning of March and they still have literally over 60,000 people who have not gotten any response to their unemployment claim. So after a few weeks, we said, all right, we just, we have to just bring everybody back on payroll and it's gonna, that's a hefty cost, but it's the right thing to do. So, I mean, again, like it was that, that idea of, I, I have all these things that I, that I, that I kind of think of, here's who I am as a person, here's what I believe in. And now all of a sudden I've got to, you know, put up or shut up when it comes to it. Right. And so that's what I really kind of learned through this is that, one, it's this, you know, not everything is, it doesn't just come and go. We're still trying to figure this out. And you've, you know, you've got to be honest with people. You've got to be open with people. Um, and you've got to, you know, you've got to make really hard decisions. And that's, uh, that's been interesting for me because it, it hasn't been easy. Um, but I feel like we've done the right thing by our people and they've really appreciated it. And just like them, we're kind of, we're, we've opened at a reduced capacity, we put all these measures in place, all these supplies, did all these things, but we still have to kind of see how things go and, and continue to make, you know, the right decisions and continue to, to talk to our clients, talk to our team members and, and figure out what's working well, what isn't, and how do we, how do we navigate this together? Because the reality is I don't have a business without my employees and I don't have a business without my clients. Sure. And so this isn't like a short-term thing. This is 
if you do the right thing now, that will reverberate with people a year, two years down the line, and that's important. Absolutely, and and I think it's important that, to the way you're uh, speaking on the the, the way you got to evolve with the situation too. I think a lot of people are saying, "Oh, well, I, I thought you know, I, I thought you were on this side, and that means that you can't change your opinion. You have to stay, you know, you, you're locking yourself up until everything's cleared up, and that's just that's unrealistic. You can't, you know, you, there's got to be a little bit of a, a little bit of give. You got to learn, like you said, as the situation evolves, and uh, that's. Um, I, I also work for a company who's been very good with this, and uh, they've been taking care of us well. And I think I don't know that there's a lot of good examples out there, but I'm glad to hear that you know yours is. Yeah, I mean, that, look I, again. I, I kind of looked at it and thought, you know, it's interesting. I've only been in this role as a CEO for a little bit over a year, and it really hit me of like, okay, you've spent your whole career, your whole life, talking about these ideals. And and trying to live to them in, in, as as true as possible, and here here's an opportunity where it's not going to be easy to do that. But you know, let let's do it. Let's see if 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 leading a business and running a business with that type of mindset will you know will will work and and will it resonate with people. So I mean, it's it's far from over, um, but it's been it's been an interesting experience. Um, and we'll, we'll see. I mean, you know, things are, are changing every day and every state's radically different. I'm, I'm hopping on an airplane tomorrow to go to Portland, Oregon, uh, cause my youngest son is, is moving up there. He just graduated high school. Um, and you know, coming, you know, having lived there for years, I know how things are there. And, you know, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of things going on there that are, that are hypersensitive right now. Wow, uh, um, to a lot of that, and also you have a son who graduated high school, which I was going to say here is a, a funny thing about not a funny thing, not funny, haha. But like, so you know, you your involvement in hardcore punk, whatever you want to call it, um, you know that, that I know through like one away resurrection. Um, I'm I'm going to be 36 this year. This year, I've got a you know 13 year old stepdaughter and a seven year old uh, daughter, um, and I've only seen your bands through reunions. <laughs> so like, and, and I say that just to, you know, show how long you've been around in, in doing this. Um, and the, the longevity that you have, um, I'm not young, you know what I mean? So by, by that, by that metric, um, what, what keeps you coming back to doing this type of music? I mean, I, you know, I think the thing is like, it's sonically and, and ethically and all those things. Like, it's just, it feels like a home for me. Um, and I never stray far from it. Like I, I might not always be incredibly active in terms of releasing music and going on tour, but I've always kind of stayed involved and gone to shows and followed bands to check it out because like it, that's what speaks to me. Like as a young kid, I mean, music to me is, is all about, you know, whether or not it, 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 it scratches an emotional itch. Yeah. And, you know, when I was a kid, I wasn't really interested in music except for the bands that like I saw my mother listen to that I could see were very emotional to her, like Janis Joplin, the Beatles, right. That was like my first interest in music. And then I got really into hip hop in the very late seventies, early eighties. Like it just, for whatever reason, like it resonated for me because these were people that were talking about, you know, kind of the, the, 
the travesties in their life, the hope in their life, all these different things. And then when I got introduced to punk rock, it was, it, that's really what kind of spoke to me. And, you know, it's funny because I, I think I haven't primarily listened to punk and hardcore bands since probably 1990. <laughs> um, I mean, I listen to a lot of things that are anything but you know, punk and, and hardcore sure. always have certain bands that I listen to and check out and especially new bands. But my primary like diet, if you will, of music has never been really heavy, you know, for the last 30 years, but how I choose to and how I express myself is on the heavier side. Like that's the draw for me. Um, is that that's like the music I love. And when I do, have to express something it typically is a little bit you know kind of going to come from a heavier heavier side and so i mean look i i think for me like i have and i I know a lot of people do but i have an incredibly deep respect and love for punk music because i wouldn't be alive today without it and i there's no doubt for that for me and so i will always have an incredible amount of like respect and awe and admiration for the music and, and the scene because it gave people like me who needed like a life raft in the middle of the ocean, something to hold on to and, and a way to learn how to express myself, learn how to, how to interact with different opinions. Like again, going back to what I said earlier, like the thing that's most troubling to me is that people can't fucking have a discussion. And, you know, growing up in a scene where like people fucking disagreed and argued all the time, like there's a lot of that, that I just, I really, really appreciate because it's helped me, you know, figure out how to communicate, you know, in a way that you don't, you don't, um, you don't sacrifice your opinions. You don't sacrifice your morals, but you can have a discussion even with someone who just sits on the opposite side. Yeah. And I think that's something that, uh, I mean, I, I know I personally struggle with discussion it more turns into argument. I like to think I'm more capable than I am. Um, but, uh, I think, I think largely everybody deals with that issue pretty, pretty heavily. Um, and I don't know. It's it's a respect to you for being able to articulate that, you know, the, the the way you do and 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 live it through. Um do do you feel like that your uh opportunity to express yourself uh through music has helped you with that? Like that 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 rather than have these rather than have an argument with somebody you can put it into a song and scream it at a crowd? I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I think it's just, it's a way to have a voice when you maybe don't necessarily feel like you're always going to have one in a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, like I, I never sit down and go, okay, I'm going to write a song about, about, you know, about George Floyd. Like that's not how I think about things, Right. but it's definitely, I can, I can, you know, look at the, look at the news, go through the story and, and have, you know, something that I'm like, fuck, I want to, you know, like, I, and you hear a song and go, okay, I'm, I'm going to it. Like there's, there's a, there's a relationship in what's being expressed. I mean, it's funny, like people have, you know, when I've done some, some interviews around this record, people are like, Oh, are you comfortable talking about politics? Is it natural for you? And I'm like, 
how the fuck do, like politics is ingrained in every aspect of our life. Yeah. Like, so I don't, I don't know how you fucking write a song or have something that's not political. That doesn't mean that it's based on a purely political point that you want to make, but our entire lives are, are influenced by the political, you know, background noise of, of where we grow up. And, you know, for me, like, for example, I have a transgender child. Yeah. And so, you know, for someone who doesn't, you know, know any, any, you know, doesn't know anybody aside from straight people, like that whole story and those stories about, you know, about their rights and, and, and everything that they face, it just, it seems like a, you know, far off subject matter. Right. Where, you know, again, that's where I try to, even if I can't necessarily understand or relate to something, try to see it through the other person's lens. So I at least have context to it because I think that's really important. And it's funny, like an example of that, and I was talking to someone um, from, from the business side of what I do, they were talking to me about Antifa, right? And, and all cops were bastards. And like, oh my God, I don't understand this. All cops are bastards. And I was like, look, like, I, you know, I think everybody has it when they, when they express something like that, I get what they're expressing, right? Are they saying that your dad, who's a cop is a bad person? I don't know. Maybe they are. Right. But I'm like, but systemically, if you look at what the frustration is, right, the blue line, right. You don't cross that, that line, right. Like that's, that, you know, that to me is where a cab like that, that saying and that sentiment comes to life. Sure. Because I've known people who were police officers that I grew up with that, I don't know, they always seem like pretty good ethical people to me. Um, but the question is, if they saw someone doing something that was unjust, whether it was, it was subtle or not so subtle, like, are they going to turn those people in? Is the system set up where if I saw something as a police officer and reported it, that it would be seriously followed up? Or is it or, or is that not the subset? And so I think for me, like, that's an example of, yeah, if you just want to look at it on the surface and go, oh, cops are bastards. Hey, my dad was a cop. You're, you're fucked up. You're a loser. Like, I, I guess you can approach it that way. And on the opposite side, you can look at someone and be like, hey, you're, you, you have a relationship with your dad. He's a cop. He's a piece of this. He's a that. Like, I guess you can approach it that way if you want to. But the way I try to look at it is go, like, what does that really mean? Like, what's the context to, to that type of, you know, discussion? And how do you, how do you get to that, to that context and, and talk through it from that angle? Because I think that's where people are still, you know, you're still going to have people who are just like, fuck that. Like, you know, they're just not gonna, they're not going to have that conversation. But I find most people like, you have to do away with the themes. You have to do away with the punchlines and you have to talk about the context. And if you do, I think, you know, again, I was talking to someone who like the last thing in the world they have any background with is like punk rock and, you know, kind of that, that counterculture kind of a, a look at the world. But in being able to talk through that with him, it was like, okay, I actually get that now. That doesn't mean they're going to you know go write a cab on their, their next uh, Facebook post, but <laughs> like, it's that idea of like, look, like you, you, we can all just shout at each other or, and, and there are people, there are certain things that I, I just, I don't deal with, right? If someone's just an outright fucking racist, sexist, just 
idiot. Like I don't, I don't spend a lot of time um, trying to change how they think. Of course. But at the same time, I look and go, you know, it's, you know, look, I'm going to make a point and you could take it for what it is, or you can leave it. Like, I don't give a shit, but I'm not going to stand by and watch, you know, someone get treated like shit or, or abused, you know, and then look at it and go, well, you know, Hey, that's, that's your right to do that. Like, I don't, I don't believe that. Yeah. And I, I, I hear you on, well, fuck most of that. And, um, all of it, uh, I should say, um, and the pers- perspective is so important for fucking nearly everything. Um, but you know, just to go back at you with an example, I was, my, my grandmother turned 92 this week, 92. And my sister wow. made this post that I, that I found interesting. And I always knew like my grandmother was very progressive and I, I hate to add it to the, to the end of the sentence, but for her generation and, sure. um, she, you know, my sister pointed out that she was in the junior league, which I'm, to be honest, I'm not quite sure what that is, but she was a member of the junior league, which she quit on two occasions. Once when they wouldn't admit, they wouldn't allow Jewish women to join. And a second time when they wouldn't allow black women to join. And so my sister made this great point that when we hear, uh, people say, ah, you know, they're old. It's their generation. That's just, you know, it's, they make that excuse for, you know, racism and, you know, bigotry. That uh, that, that doesn't have to be true. You know, that doesn't like. Yeah, I think, I think a, there's like there's like there's a context to it. Right. Like, yeah. And I, yeah, I, 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 I understand what you mean. Yeah. And it's a but, but the to, to to I don't know you. I mean, like you said, to, to listen I don't know. Sometimes you just got to fucking listen. And uh, I, I think we're all pretty bad about that. But, uh, but to, to take the time and adapt context and perspective, that's fucking tough. It's tough, but uh, but it's the right way to do it. Well, and it's I, I think the thing is, again, like, I, you know, I happen to have a very diverse subset of family and friends. Sure. Yeah. Right. So, again, like if all my friends were just like, you know, white kids from the suburbs or, you know, I, I, and it, not to oversimplify it, but like the more diverse the people you're around are, the more, the easier it is to actually see things through their context. And so, I mean, it's funny. People talk about all the time, like, you know, they, they, they purge their Facebook posts, you know, Facebook friends because, you know, of what someone posts. And I mean, look, I, the way I look at it is like, I, you know, I'm not going to surround myself and I'm not going to, interact with people who are just, you know, racist, sexist pieces of shit. Like, what can I say? Right. Um, but typically speaking more, most people are kind of on, you know, are figure trying to figure this shit out. And it's kind of like you talking about your grandmother, like, you know, it doesn't excuse maybe what people in her generation did, but there's a context to it. And I think that that's important to understand. Um, not because to excuse it, but to understand like how they got there and, and how deep rooted and how difficult it is for them to, to think differently. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you, if you, if you do grow up for 20 years and, 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 you know, people tell you and, and, you know, family, news media, education that, you know, that this person here whether it's their religion or their, their sexual orientation or their race is evil. Like that doesn't mean it's okay for you to grow, spend your whole life thinking that, but there's a context to it. And if people, you know, some people, a lot of people are willing to like learn. I mean, 
there's a lot that I've had to learn. I might not have been like a, ever been like an outwardly racist person, but were there aspects of my upbringing or my conditioning or my education that led to blind spots on, on how race works in America? Absolutely. And there still is like, um, that's, you don't read a book or take a college course or listen to a hardcore record and that goes away. Like, right. It's something you're going to continually try to have to try to navigate and figure out. Oh yeah. As, as, as a, as a white guy who grew up in the suburbs of Pennsylvania, I, you know, I, I catch myself, not catch myself, not like I'm doing anything, but you know, just, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, the, the, the ideas and like just shit that I never thought of, you know, and just stuff I didn't consider. And, you know, it's, it's like, goddamn, it's, uh, you know, but then, but then once you look at it, it's like, how did I miss it? But, you know, until you do see yeah. it, it's, it's like you said, it's just blind spots. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny, like, how many people now, and I think it's kind of interesting, like, Netflix, you know, when you turn on your TV now has, you know, where you can watch things that are very specific to race. Now. And yeah, just was, now. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. Yeah. But I was having a conversation with someone about the, the documentary 13. And I was like, yeah, like you really should check out the book, the new Jim Crow. Like this is before they watched it. But when they got done, they were just like, holy shit. Like it shook their world. Right. It changed like how they saw things. And I think that that's really powerful. And that doesn't mean that before watching that, they were a bad person with ill intent. They just didn't have exposure to this. Like it didn't, it never crossed their path to be able to, to learn it. So I think, again, like, uh, you know, I don't know, like, it's, a, it's an interesting thing for me. Like I, you know, on one hand, um, it, it, it confuses me to see so many people that, that came from the punk and hardcore scene grow up and become the antithesis of what we were supposed to hate. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, I, I fuck, I, I, you know, I, years ago when I, I did a, I did a few songs with Turning Point at This Is Hardcore. I, you know, I you made a great introduced speech. the song. Yeah, it is. It is not my most articulate <laughs> moment by any stretch. I wish fuck, I could redo it. A lot of fuck it. yous, but it was, you know, it's it was. Yeah, pretty, I wish I could pointed. redo it. I mean, I, again, like I'm a very emotional person. Like I am not, I am not the person who's going to write a speech and stick to a teleprompter. <laughs> and I, it, and that was very much spur of the moment. I mean, that literally, it was, you know, not even an hour before the set where. You know, I, I, I encountered one person, you know, who I've known for, for quite, you know, I, I've known not closely, but I've known for, for years, straight edge kid, you know, you know, in, in bands that people really liked. And I heard him talking about Black Lives Matter. And I was like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? And I said something to him, um, but it really just, and, and then another person who in the side of the conversation was talking about, like, you know, social social construct and was like, well, you know, Hey, I, I'm all for gay people. I have tons of gay friends, but I think gay marriage, you know, it's, it's against tradition. And I was just like, who the fuck am I surrounding myself by? <laughs> like, I, I can't even understand how this is coming out of the mouth of people who, you know, grew up in this scene right and here. then fuck. Yeah. And then, and then right before I went to go sing those songs, I'm watching those same two motherfuckers singing along to every turning point song. So I was like, yo, I'm going to fucking say something because God damn, if they try to sing with me, like it's just not going to work out well. Right. So not my most articulate moment in, in the world. Right. But it, it like, that is something that really kind of strikes me. Um, and I, I think it's kind of sad to be perfectly honest and not that I expect everybody to have the same 
you know, ethical or social or beliefs or political beliefs that I do, but fuck to be that like far, far off from kind of the ideals of, of what I thought punk rock was, was, was pushing us towards. Like, are you really having a conversation saying they shouldn't be able to get married because it's against tradition? Like what the fuck kind of world am I in? So anyway, it's just, it's, it's kind of a funny thing. I never set it out to say like, Hey, I got, but it was just something that really just right. The, I was like the song before we're going to play and I'm watching these guys sing along and I'm like, yo, I'm going to fucking say something. So they know don't fucking try to sing along with me, man, because this is <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. I, it's funny. I, I just, I just rewatched that this morning. And, uh, so, so I know exactly what you saw, you know, almost, almost word for word. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it, but it's like uh, you, you, you've. I know they they do this. People like to use the phrase "the right side of history." You yourself have pretty much been on the right side of history with everything you've spoken about for years now. Um, but are there any things that that you've said or done in songs or with your bands that you look back on now that you wish you hadn't been a part of, or you know, maybe just cringy? Oh, absolutely, cringy, absolutely. I mean, most <laughs> of my fucking life is cringy to me. Right. Um, you know, especially God, if you go back to like my first, first band, I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, but well, uh, but cringy, but not, there's nothing that I don't like, even like I said, like it was funny I, when that happened at this is hardcore, I didn't think anything of it. Like I really didn't, I had no idea like it was going to turn into something. And then like the next day I go, I fly back to Arizona and I land and I turn my phone on and all of a sudden I've got like 400 messages. Wow. And I've got death threats. I've got people like, I love you. People like, I used to hate you, but now I think you're awesome. People who are like, what the fuck was that about? I had it from people at work just going, hey, we need to understand this. <laughs> um, and it's like I said, like, I look at that and go, I stand behind everything I said. Do I wish it was a little bit more articulate? Yes, of course. Right. But for the most part, I mean, again, like I, I think that that's kind of the point of the, the, the band name, every scar has a story. What I talk about some of the songs is that like, look, like when you look at your life and you look at the person you are, it's not just made up of the good shit. It's made up of like everything. It's made up of all the mistakes, the pain you've caused people, the pain that they've caused you, the mistakes, the triumphs, the disasters. And, you know, you know, when I look at my life, like, are there things that I regret? Are there things that I wish didn't happen that I didn't do or didn't happen to me? Absolutely. But at the same time, I know that I wouldn't have the friends that I have now if those things didn't happen. I wouldn't have the wife, my wife. Like, I might not have my kids. Like, it, 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 you know, it's kind of like watching, you know, fucking Back to the Future, right? Like, you change one thing. Get that sports all everything back. changes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, look. I, you know, are there records I wish I could redo, um, or maybe I wouldn't have done it all? Sure. Right. Um, and I wouldn't say I've always been on the right side of history. I think I've never done anything completely idiotic in that sense. Um, but I'm willing to learn, yeah. and I'm willing to I express and talk about mistakes and you know, and, you know, in, in the music as well as, you know, outside of it. So I think that's, you know, again, like I, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for people who could start a conversation in the worst way 
but at the end go, you know what? I was fucking wrong. Like, and, and it might not mean that they've shifted entirely, but like that to me is what's important. Like, do we keep trying to be better? Right. Like we have the person that we, you know, you, you, I'm not that I think about this, but you know, it's, it's kind of like a good analogy for it. Right. You think about what are people going to say about me when I'm dead? Yeah. You know, and how do you, how do you reflect on that each day to make sure that you're putting forth, you know, you're, you're, you're being the person that you want to be You're you know, and you're going to be proud of what you do. So again, like, are there things that I wish I could have done a little differently? Absolutely. But there's nothing that I look at for the most part, I can say at least where I'm just like, fuck, like that was completely unacceptable. Like I got to redo that. Like, but I, I do struggle. I mean, I, that, that was, you know, I think one the, the first part of our first song on our record, right? Regret clouds reason, right? I have a ton of regret. Um, people, they are like that struggle have struggled with depression. Like I have with the anxieties I have, like regret is the main ingredient to every fucked up episode of my life. But, you know, you have to learn to kind of overcome that and, and say, okay, well, Hey, I can't go back and change what happened, but I certainly can help rewrite what happens from this point forward. Well, that's very well put that, that you were articulate that time. I can tell you that, uh, that, and, and thank you for, for getting us back onto the, to the record because I, I need to wrap up here in a minute and put a kid to bed. But, um, the, this, this, uh, what you got here with these three songs and uh, every scar has a story. Well, by the way, I'd like to I'd like to just point it out. Not even a question. Just point it out that you got the song. Every scar has a story on the record. Every scar has a story by the band. Every scar has a story, which I feel like is a is a is like a right right of passage as a band. Like you gotta you gotta do that, and so you got that. So I just wanted to acknowledge it. Just, <laughs> well, thank you. Um, but is this for going forward? Is this intended to be a band that keeps happening, or is this just a release and then who knows? So is it kind of just whatever happens? No, I mean the, the the intention is that we'll keep doing stuff. So we have um, we have since recruited um, some different musicians to kind of join us once things uh, once people can get in a room together, um, yeah. and you know we we've got a bunch of more songs that Tom has sent over to me. Uh, I'm in the middle of. Um, I'm working on trying to finish my master's degree and with work reopening and all that, um, things are a little crazy right now, but I, I really like the few songs he's sent me so far. Uh, and I think our plan is, and again, you know, subject to change based on how everything kind of progresses. But, um, I think we're going to, you know, go out and do three shows on the, on the East coast, uh, in late November, um, that we've got kind of planned with, uh, with a few other bands who are kind of similar to us in that they're, they're older, older people, um, who have, you know, started new, new projects and put out new records. And I think we're going to try to do, uh, you know, three shows together and, you know, I think we'll probably announce it sometime soon, but you know, whether or not it can happen is, you know, that is, uh, to be determined, I guess. But no, I think the, it's, it's absolutely something that we intend to, to continue to write, put out music and, and play when, when we can. That's awesome, and and I was going to mention that there seems to be a few of these bands popping up where it's older guys, but in newer newer bands. And I actually have some in parentheses that I was going to say, but I think they're probably some of those bands that you're talking about, so I won't mention any of that. But um, but I, I is is, is does it does it feel like a little more? Uh, does it feel like a I don't know? Is it does it feel different playing a new band rather than doing 108 again? Is it is there is it kind of a refresher? 
I mean, it's different. I mean, it's funny. Like one of the things when, when we were, you know, we first uh, went, you know, joined Equal Vision, you know, they had a girl who's going to write our bio and she's like, oh, like, you know, this has got to be different. Like the first time you've done a band like this, I was like, oh, what do you mean? Like, it's like, well, you know, where you're not like in a room playing together, writing the songs. And I was like, I haven't done that since 1992. Like, this is the way I've kind of done bands since then, including 108, which is, you know, people, you know, write some songs, send it to each other and you kind of work them out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting. I mean, I'm excited to play with Tom. I'm excited to play with the, the other people that we've kind of tapped. Um, I'm excited to play new songs. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's a compliment to what I'm doing. I mean, I love playing in 108. Um, you know, we had a bunch of shows set up, you know, in Europe this summer and then, on the East and West coast, uh, in the fall, which, you know, all had to get canceled. Um, hopefully, you know, we can get back to it in 2021, but no, it's definitely exciting to go and, and play something new. And, you know, I've, I've got, you know, I've, I've done, I think, I think this is my fifth band over the years. So I, I like that. I like, you know, being able to do it a little differently. And at the same time I can go and revisit and, and continue to create or continue to do things with projects I've done in the past. Awesome. Well, hey, Rob, the, I, I think so far what I've heard and on this record, and I think most people that I've seen that I've read about it have had good things to say, and rightfully so. Um, I'm excited to see what you guys do, even though this one just came out. Um, uh, thank you for taking the time to have this conversation with me. I greatly appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank, thank you. All right, man. Hey, take care. All right, you too, man. So, talk to you.
So there you have it. That was my interview with Rob Fish. Um, the song that you just heard there at the end, that was Price of Admission. We talked about that track. It's one of three on this EP. I really do look forward to hearing more from these guys. They certainly have the uh, credentials and the uh, skill, obviously. Sometimes people just, ha- just have the credentials, and it's just because they put out a 7-inch uh, many years ago when they were fucking teenagers, and now they're in their 40s and 50s and put out shitty music and somehow still get a pass. That's not the case here. Isn't that nice? <laughs> but anyway, um, that's that's it for this episode as far as that stuff goes. Uh, thanks again to Rob for coming on and having the talk. I see he's been making his rounds lately, so I appreciate him taking the time out to do Getting It Out podcast as well. I've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of interesting people lately, and uh, Rob is one of them, so I appreciate it. Um, got a lot of cool guests coming up. I've had a lot of cool guests overall. All right, this uh, I mentioned before, but this whole pandemic had made it uh, pretty easy to get a hold of people. Everybody is where they s- are supposed to be. You know, nobody's out on tour. Um, at the same time, it's made it easy for everybody to get a hold of everyone. So there's a lot of podcasts out there, a lot of people having uh, similar guests, but that's just the way it is right now. So eventually when this whole thing shakes out, uh, some of us still going to be around, still doing the same damn thing, and that, that one's going to be this one, Getting It Out Podcast. Also, eventually, one day in the future, who knows when, there will be gettingitout.net to go along with this. I realize I've been saying that for um, over six months at this point. Yeah. I think it's been more than half a year I've been telling you that, but it really does exist. It really is coming one day soon, hopefully sooner than later, Um, and uh, I'm excited to roll that out. Um, Next couple guests I got coming up, well, I can tell you that I'm not going to tell you anything. You just have to wait till the day of um, or the night before. That's usually how I do it. So that's it for this week. I'm going to end this one with a song from Entry. Entry is a Los Angeles-based hardcore band uh, with a record called Detriment coming out on Southern Lord Records. Um, It's actually coming out today, July 17th. So check that out. Check this song out. This song is called, um, what's it called? Selective Empathy. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for rating. Thank you for reviewing. Really, please just do those things. And most importantly, thank you for sharing. Uh, That's it for this week. Thanks again. Bye-bye.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.